Yo, my name is Daniel Safer, and welcome to another episode of Fitness Frameworks. These last couple of years, my health and fitness have been a big part of my life. I've spent tons of time testing, failing, learning, and iterating on my nutrition and exercise plan with the help of mentors. The real question has been, as a busy professional, how can I develop a sustainable fitness lifestyle where I prioritize my health, but I do not let it consume my life? This podcast is here to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I keep learning to apply and share fitness frameworks that help me achieve my health goals. My name is Daniel Safer, and welcome to Fitness Frameworks. Woo! I'm super excited for this interview because it is the third one of the fitness experts that I talked to. And in this specific one, we really explored some ideas that I personally it took me a long time to learn. For example, what's the difference between being reactive and being proactive about injuries and what are things that we can do? Or even then, when it comes to just sitting down all day and having sedentary lifestyle, what are some stretches that we can do to really loosen up the tight muscles and activate some of the loose muscles? Anyways, my guest was awesome enough to answer all these questions and go deep into them. He is more than qualified to answer all these questions, so I had a lot of fun just exploring some of these topics with him. So sit tight and take some notes if you got a notebook or pen or just uh, just enjoy. I'm super excited to have this person here in front of me today. His qualifications are endless. Certified personal trainer. N1 Educated Personal Trainer, Bachelor's in Sports Science, NASM Corrective Exercise Specialist, Lifetime Drug-Free Bodybuilder. This list just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. But anyways, I decided to reach out and bring him on because I've learned so much from him just simply going through his content because he simplifies exercise, nutrition, and even the mindset needed to be able to transform your body. Anyways, I'm super excited to have Adam Neth on here with me. Adam, I appreciate you being here. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Dude, I'm excited to have you here, man. Like, like I said, I've been going through your content. I saw that you have a lot of value to offer. And I think my audience is just going to really enjoy this conversation that we're going to have here. Thank you very much for that kind intro. <laughs> of course, man. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. <laughs> much appreciated. So, uh, like I always like to do, I just want to get to understand more of where Adam came from. So how did your fitness journey start? So I pretty much started uh, with fitness when I was around 11, 12 years old. Um, I was, I grew up with an older brother. He's three years older than me. And uh, I always strove to be like him. Um, you know, he was into powerlifting. He did football. Uh, he did cross country track. He did all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but not only did I have my brother to look up to, but also my dad, my dad was into, uh, you might be familiar with body for life. That's kind of, uh, I'm it was, it was, sure a, I, I think it was in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Mm. Uh, it was kind of like the first, uh, you know, like one of the books that took people through diets and training programs and stuff like that. Uh, but I watched my dad get uh, pretty lean, actually, when he was around 36, 37. Uh, so, you know, I was pretty young, seven years old, he was a pretty big influence on me. Uh, and he did all his weight training and stuff in the basement of our house. And I remember being 11, 12 years old and going down there and, you know, just kind of watching him. And so he let me do a few, few sets of, of bench press and, you know, curls and stuff like that. And he told me, I want you to come down here and do this stuff on your own. This is too dangerous, but 
of course I didn't listen to him. Uh, and, uh, I'd already been playing football and running track. So it just kind of, you know, the weight training aspect really pushed the sports performance stuff for me. Uh, cause I was, as I'm a very competitive person, um, but that's pretty much how I got started. And then luckily when I got into middle school, uh, when I was in, I think I was in eighth grade, one of the football coaches, coach McGarren took me under his wing and, uh, he knew a ton of stuff about weight training. Uh, so he taught me how to hang clean and deadlift and, uh, it pretty, pretty much changed my life. So, yeah, that's awesome that you were able to find, you know, like, one, you had those role models, your brother and your dad, and two, you were able to find that coach that really knew what he yeah. was doing because, you know, especially early on, that doesn't impede your progress as you're starting out with like the newbie gains or any of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that, it, was, it was nice. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. That's awesome. And then how did that transition to then you switching more towards, uh, I guess, learning more about fitness and then later into your bodybuilding uh I don't know. Do you still do bodybuilding or is that something? Um, so I still train like a natural bodybuilder, um, but I, I'm not competing right now. Um, I probably won't for maybe five, maybe 10 more years. Uh, but it pretty much developed by, you know, as I, as I started to progress through high school, I actually started to like weight training more than the sports I was training for. So uh, football, eh, kept getting injured. Track, same thing, kept getting injured. But the weight room, you know, it always gave me back what I put in. And I just absolutely love that, you know. And uh, so it was more for sports performance with some type of bodybuilding stuff in high school. Uh, once I graduated, I went to Capital University in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I went there for one year and I studied exercise science. And uh, that was when I made some connections with some people and got a little bit more into powerlifting and uh, natural bodybuilding. Uh, so I met this guy, Jordan Maver Mattis, and uh, we were super good friends, and we trained every single day for a year together. And uh, then, unfortunately, I moved schools. So when I moved schools, I came across some other friends, and uh, those guys were into natural bodybuilding too. So that was when I made my jump into competing was uh 2014 so i was at right state then and this is where my uh my thirst was kind of quenched for knowledge I, I just kept on um putting myself out there so first thing i did was i got a personal training job at the recreation center at, at right state and uh then that morphed into being a personal trainer for the adapted recreation so i worked with people with disabilities uh, made some really good friends. And then I finished up at Wright State as a strength conditioning coach, uh, the, an assistant. So I you know, started to learn about all kinds of different ways of training uh, for the adapted recreation, uh, for people who are, you know, collegiate athletes on the uh, basketball, on the basketball team and stuff like that. So that definitely uh, helped me gather a lot of knowledge that I can now apply to my general population clients. So, Yeah, that's really cool because you were able to diversify that knowledge. And I'm actually curious, was there anything interesting that you found by having those different, uh, I guess, 
don't know how to put this like <laughs> like the different groups of people that you were training because obviously they're gonna have to need different protocols right some of them mm-hmm. were for sports some of them were just general population some of them were to you know for to be able to maybe rehab some sort of thing that might have happened so what was some things that you were able to take away that like oh you know what these are some common things and these are some things that maybe just apply in general i'd have to say just learning to become adaptive to your client when your client tells you that they need something or or something's bothering them or uh, they don't feel comfortable doing this you have to kind of be able to make those adjustments on the fly uh and I'll, i'll admit you know when I was 20 years old, I wasn't the best at doing that. Uh, but, you know, through the experience, I've been able to put more uh, regressions and progressions in my toolbox. And it's just allowed me to think outside of the box so that, you know, I really can just do almost anything that I need to do with a client if I have to. Gotcha. So, yeah. And I want to take it back a little more to your story. Um, what were some of the biggest biggest challenges and obstacles that you came across because i'm assuming it wasn't all easy i'm assuming there might have been some injuries there or or just there might have been some challenges could we talk about those a little bit so it doesn't seem like you're just this superman who had it all right yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh so i've had way too many injuries um and that's been one thing that that really got me into the n1 education stuff that you mentioned in the intro uh, is they're huge on biomechanics and execution um, so I really, really dived into that, gather as much information as I could because, you know, having a plethora of injuries from the time I was 12 years old, I think I needed to do something about it. So, uh, I lost my train of thought. No worries. No worries. <laughs> um, and so I want, I want to take it back to, you know, you're saying you had injuries. Um, so what is the N1? And then you also mentioned like biomechanics. So kind of tell us a little bit more about that. Right? So N1 is, uh, it was created by Kasim Hansen, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, but what he wanted to create was a training program for people, a training certification for, for personal trainers that they can take any client and they can assess them their trainability, which is, uh, you know, what they have been doing or what they're capable of doing, um, their structure. So how they're, how they're built. So if they have longer legs or they have like a shorter torso or whatever, uh, and be able to apply the end of one. So every single person has a customized program. We're not just making cookie cutter programs for people. Um, so that's that portion of like the end of one type stuff. And then in terms of biomechanics, it's just really how the body truly functions. Um, not just the, and I like this, uh, it's not just the textbook anatomy that you typically see and hear and learn about. Uh, they make it applicable for you so that, you know, you know how joints move when you're going through, you know, ranges of motion with load and stuff like that. Um, but all of that was extremely interesting to me considering the injuries that I've gone through. So currently still dealing with these injuries, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, it's a, you know, management type thing for me right now. Uh, but I've, I've tore both my hamstrings multiple times. Um, I've always struggled with SI joint dysfunction, which is like a, uh, you know, the lower back issue. Um, I have separated my shoulder 
I've broken my nose and had nose surgery. I've pulled groin muscles, tore abdominal muscles. There's just been a laundry list of, of issues that I've had. So you're making, you're making lifting sound dangerous, man. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it probably all stems from, uh, I was diagnosed with a collapsed arch when I was in seventh grade mm-hmm. and I'm sure, you know, all of that has really affected. Oh, what exactly is a collapsed arch? Uh, so just what I've actually found in the last few months is that the, I don't have the, the same dexterity in my left foot as I do with my right foot. Mm. Um, and then just the arch muscles of the foot seem to be dropped just a little bit down. So, so that imbalance from the base causes everything else to kind of like, yeah. So if you imagine like a, uh, you know, if these are somebody's feet mm-hmm. and you shift one down like that, mm-hmm. and then you look at their knees, their knee might be shifted down. And then same thing with the hip. And then, uh, so then the whole body just has to like structure yeah. itself to fit. Oh man. Yeah. I guess that, that points out the importance of, you know, being able to have, you know, a very well balanced structured body, you know, yeah. flexible um, or mobile at least so that it's also strong and, and then, mm-hmm good solid base yeah it's uh i think that's what what uh why the execution and just making sure that your form's on point every single time plays such a large role in how i coach people because i've been there (laughs) you know countless times so i want to impede people from going there gotcha so could we talk about that a little more because i think that's super important and i think it's actually pretty underrated um, so I guess just what advice do you have there or just what things do you tell your client when it comes to form versus, cause I mean, I've been there where I'm like, dude, I just want to get those extra reps. I just want to get more weight on, but I know yeah. that my form is breaking down. So just any advice there? Well, uh, you know, Alberto Nunez, you know, he, he, uh, I don't know if this is his quote, but I always heard him saying it. Uh, but he says one rep won't make you, but one rep can break you. So you have to really just make sure that you execute every single rep with full intention. Um, and for me personally, when I, when I struggle with certain movements, I have to identify why am I struggling with that movement? Uh, so for example, the Romanian deadlift, a lot of people struggle with that. They don't know how to hip hinge. They don't know how to properly engage the posterior chain. Um, so if, if you are one of those people that's struggling with any of these movements out there, I advise you to look at the mechanics of the movement. So if you take the Romanian deadlift, you look at what, mo- what muscles are the prime movers. And you have to, when you look at those muscles, you'll, you'll understand how they function within the body, what they should be doing, which the other mo- muscles should be doing as well. And it just helps you execute with just, way more proficiency when you know exactly what the the muscles are supposed to be doing if that makes sense yeah no no totally and i love that because that's something that i would do when it's like i wanted to understand the squat so obviously i'd go on youtube watch all these people talk about the squat but it was also a lot of fun being able to learn about how the body works and how the body moves so i think that is a great suggestion because it allows you to kind of self-educate yourself in that sense yeah and you start to kind of assess your body and understand your body a little more. I'm not saying like, you know, exactly what's going on. Cause there's still like so much that yeah. you don't know. Right. Especially yeah. if you don't oh, have yeah. like a degree like me or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And so, so sometimes when you go into the reps, um, you obviously hear a lot of people talk about like, oh, you got to go to failure or whatever. Um, I've also heard a different term that's called go to technical failure. So mm-hmm. let me give you an example. Let's say someone's lifting, doing 10 reps of something, right? At rep eight, though, you notice that their form starts to kind of, uh, let, let's talk about the bench press, right? You notice that their elbows start to flare out more than where they're, where they're supposed to be in position, but they're still able to get two more reps. And then w- when they're at rep 10, it was like, that was real fl- failure. Like they need someone to spot them to help them rack it. But at eight, it was technical failure because their form was getting out of shape. Um, so what is your take on that? Should anyone ever try to go to failure or is it more just technical failure or? Well, I think people, there, it, it's, there seems to be two sides when it comes to training to failure. Uh, you have the people who say, you know, never, ever train a failure, uh, stay four reps away from failure, stay three reps, two reps, one rep. And then you have the other side who say, go to, go to technical <laughs> failure every workout. Or else, what are you doing, right? So, I kind of like to mix both of them in. So, I would I would program in failure sets, um, and I would never let if I was training somebody, never let somebody go to past technical failure, uh, because then you know every single rep is a is a learning it's a learning time for for your body. So if you're doing bad reps, your body's just learning bad movement patterns. Mm. So not to mention it's really hard to track that kind of stuff right so you know you in your logbook you might write okay i benched 135 pounds for 10 and then the next time you come in and you do 10 again but maybe you've got nine technical reps and one shitty rep mm-hmm. but yeah no, i so, like that I, I like i like how you use that as a tool right not 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 how it's like it's an absolute like you have to do that yeah. or you don't have to do it. it's just like you know what Sometimes I like to get a good bicep pump. So (laughs) we go to failure. (laughs) But when it comes to training to failure, I think people also need to to look at exercise selection. Hmm. So, you know, if somebody's doing a, let's just say like a a bench press workout or a chest pushing workout uh, and they start off with bench press, it might not be a good idea to go to failure on bench press because there's, you know, a lot of risk going to to failure on that movement. Whereas if maybe you do three other movements for chest, you do two sets of each and the last movement for chest, maybe you have like a seated cable fly. That's probably a safer position to go to failure in than something that's you know going to crush you. Yeah. Uh, so basically it, so it'd be, it'd be more safe because you know, there's not that much load or there's not that much weight being used. And obviously there's not like a bar. Yeah. Right over you. It's not as much um, what they call neurological efficiency going on comes to that stuff so if you think about you know doing a barbell squat and you think about how complex that movement is and then you think about a leg extension that's pretty you know it's a single joint movement so it's much safer and less taxing on uh just think of your of your on your system or your central nervous system uh to go to failure on something that's a single joint versus something where your spine's loaded and stuff like that so yeah that makes perfect sense um yeah another thing that uh, it makes it easy i think is just saying that the more stable the exercise is the more inclined you could be to go to failure 
the less stable, maybe don't go so quite close to failure on those. Gotcha. And can you touch a little more on maybe what you might mean by stable? Um, so a good example for stability would be, okay, if we look at a squatting pattern we have a barbell squat and we have a hack squat, which is one of those machines you know, where you're laying back, your back's up against the pad. Um, so that exercise would be much more stable, the hack squat than the barbell squat so you get more quadricep stimulation from the hack squat than you would the barbell squat because you know you have all these other muscles that are stabilizing uh like the erectors uh you're loading your spine etc so gotcha so in the hack squat it's you know the fact that there's a machine the fact that there's safety mechanisms it allows you to kind of push yourself a little more yeah hey i can get closer to failure because you know i really can't get it I got this little lever here that I could pull that would hold the weight for me. And if you just have a barbell on your back, then maybe you have then, some safety pins, but yeah, who yeah. knows how that goes, right? And your lower back's going to fatigue before your quads do if oh. your goal is to train your quads. Mm-hmm. That makes so, perfect sense. Yeah. Got it. And I want to take it back just a little more. We were previously talking about you know injuries, um, biomechanical movements, Something that I like to preach is being proactive versus reactive when it comes to injuries and when it comes to your body. Um, would you like to expand on your take on that? Um, so I, I use this a lot on, uh, on some of my clients, but I'll ask them, you know, if they've ever had an injury in the past and when they tell me that they have, I'll ask them, okay, did you do physical therapy for it? Or did you do your mobility, your prehab, your rehab, your exercises that, you know, your doctor gave you? And they'll say, yeah. And they'll tell me that it's, it got better. Mm-hmm. But then I'll ask them, do you still do those exercises? And they say, no. <laughs> and then they're still dealing with that problem, right? So you do have to, you have to be proactive in the, in the sense that, you know, if you know you don't have good thoracic rotation or you know you have you tend to genetically be tighter through your chest, then maybe you should just start programming that into your to your workouts or at the end of your workouts or something along those lines. Um, because, you know, if you think about taking an extra five to ten minutes every day doing some sort of mobility, prehab, rehab type stuff, um, that's like no time at all compared to being injured and taking, you know, five, six months off. Yeah. So. You end up saving so much time that way. Yeah. You just put yeah. the work in the front. Yep. And out of curiosity, are there any like maybe simple self-assessments that any person can make just to maybe see like, I don't know, chest tightness or, you know, posture or anything like that? Yeah. At the, uh, the gym I train at down the street, uh, we actually use an overhead squat profile test and that's from the functional movement screening guys, FMS guys. Um, so essentially it is just, uh, you're holding just a, a rod over your head as if it was, were a barbell and then you're just doing a, a body weight squat. And so we can assess people's, uh, you know, overhead mobility, their ankle mobility, hip mobility, and we can see a lot of, of issues with squats or, if there are any. No. Yeah. I, I could, I could see that being difficult for me. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause usually I, I feel like if you at least have some weight, you're able to kind of use that to balance yourself and it makes it easier. But 
I, I don't think I'd be able to do just no head squat without <laughs> having like a straight bar path. With yeah, it's it's very difficult. So the goal would be to be able to get to the point where you could just rep those out. And yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll start adding that to my list, man. <laughs> I'll yeah, start trying to figure one. out what's wrong with me. It's a good one. And how how is this something that might be able to... So, for example, you know, uh, a lot of the times people are sitting in their office all day um, and you know, they might start to develop some imbalances, maybe some tight muscles, some loose muscles or, or weaker, weaken some muscles. What are some things that the everyday person who might have a more sedentary lifestyle, what are some things that they can do to start to become more proactive about their mobility, their flexibility and, you know, posture correction or things like that? So a lot of people who are sitting, uh, you know, in, in when they're driving to work or they're, they're sitting at their desk, they tend to be in this hunched over kyphotic position. Uh, so their shoulders start to round forward. Um, you know, they're, they're contracting their hip flexors, uh, the glute medius, so some of the, the hip muscles are starting to get tight too. Uh, and that's when you run into issues when, and this is from the NASM corrective exercise stuff, uh, but you can have some forward head posture call that upper cross syndrome and then you have lower cross syndrome uh, or like an anterior pelvic tilt which is where the front of the hips kind of are pulled down mm -hmm. so if you imagine the top of the of the hip in the back getting pulled up so the, it almost looks like somebody's sticking their butt out a little bit mm -hmm. right um, and that's that's due to excessive sitting um, a lot of people can benefit from this because I see, I'd probably say 70, 75% of my gen pop clients have an anterior tilt. Mm -hmm. uh, so the lower back muscles are tight mm -hmm. and the uh, rec fem hip flexors are tight. Mm -hmm. And then the abdominals are weak and lengthened. And then the glutes are weak and lengthened. So if we think about that scenario, some really good stretches for somebody who's sitting all day at a desk job would be stretching their quad. So just putting their foot up on, on a bench or even on a couch and then squeezing their glute. So they're trying to get that glute engagement while stretching the front of the leg, the quad. Mm -hmm. uh, so that'd be really good. And then there's this al also this thing called a static knee press. So you almost lay on your back. Uh, you put your legs up, put your arms up. And then you drive your knees toward your shoulders and resist with your hands. And that turns on the abdominal muscles. Mm. And then, so you've, you've lengthened the quad and you've turned on the glutes and you've turned on the abdominals and you can't stretch or gently foam roll some lower back muscles. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll start to really help uh, balance that lower cross syndrome out. And how much stretching would actually be enough to i guess so do you just want to loosen the tight muscles or do you want to lengthen them or i don't even know if you could do both right so for the muscles that are that are loose mm -hmm. uh you're gonna want to activate them okay. and that and was then, the abs and the glutes right yeah. in, in the case of the anterior pelvis tilt yeah yep <clears throat> and then the other ones which were were they the ones that were tight uh, that you want to loosen? So that would be the, the quadriceps or the hip flexors. And then that would be the lower back muscles. 
Okay, gotcha. Um, so for in that case, you said like the quadricep stretch. Um, so is there like an ideal time that someone would want to try to stretch that out for that tends to have a more long-term effect? Um, I would say this depends upon how tight that individual is or how tight they are. Um, I have some people who, when they put their foot up and they put their, their knee on the ground, they can't even feel their glute. They can't engage their glute. Um, so for that person, I might say, you know, squeeze your glute for one to two seconds, relax, squeeze your glute for one to two seconds, relax, and just have them kind of pulsate through that. Um, but I would have to say that, you know, as long as you're holding it for, and this is general recommendations, 30 to 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, but the tighter you are, the less time you're going to want to spend in both of those and then gradually work yourself up. Gotcha. And I was just laughing when you were talking about the hip flexor stretch because it's so humbling, man, because I did PT once and that happened to me like, like he's like, all right, I was on my right knee. He's like, start pushing forward. He's like, keep the glute flex. And for some reason, like my glute was flexed and then it would just unflex. Yeah. I'm like, yep. what the heck, dude? Like I'm trying my best <laughs> to flex it. And honestly, PT or physical therapy, it's humbling, man. Like, yeah, they just put you in your spot and you realize, you know, the imbalances or the weaknesses you have. And it's, it's eye opening. Yeah. And, and those are the things that are like, they're boring to do because mm -hmm. they're tedious and they're, they're not exciting. They're not like, you know, getting under a squat bar or deadlifting heavy or anything like that. So that's why I feel like so many people just, they don't do it. And that goes back to that conversation of being proactive versus mm -hmm. being reactive. I feel like it's easier to be reactive because you don't worry about it till something happens that triggers that worry, right? Like you don't like, I didn't worry about having to go get physical therapy until my knee was starting to bother me, bother me when I was squatting and something was a little off there. Then I was like, you know what? I can't let this keep on happening. So now I have to go get physical therapy. Yeah. But if you just do something daily to start to correct, you know, the posture or, you know, to start to loosen up the tight muscles, to start to strengthen or activate the, the loose muscles, that's when you start to be reactive. And like you said, it's, it's the boring work that you'd have to do daily, but that prevents you from having to do the reactive work later on. Yep. Yep. I like that a lot. That's dude. I like it too, man. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, so what's a common, what's a common myth when it comes to, you know, corrective exercise, posture, mobility, um, that people tend to have? Uh, I guess one that I, I see quite often is when people look at a client or anybody in general, and they say that they have bad posture. Hmm. Personally, I think that there's a, um, there's a spectrum of bad posture. Uh, but if we look at somebody like Michael Phelps, if we just looked at him and we assessed him and we just said, he's very kyphotic, he's very rounded. Uh, his shoulders are forward. Uh, he needs to work on that. He needs to correct that. But if you look at his performance, he's, he's the best swimmer in the world. Mm -hmm. And if, if he doesn't have any pain in his training and in his swimming, then there's nothing in my opinion, to correct. Mm. Um, you know, it's like looking at, you know, you got a, a bunch of uh, cheetahs out in the wild mm -hmm. and you look at all hundred of them, they all have 
different anatomical structures. They all have different postures. Uh, so we can't really say that cheetah has bad posture because it just exists, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing kind of with us um, to a degree, I think. I feel like people need to, if they have pain that's present and we identify something that's wrong, that's different than not having pain and thinking that somebody needs to fix something. Yeah, I I really like that approach they just brought up because it gets rid of this like um, this binary thing where it's like bad posture, good posture, right? Like you brought up the spectrum. So not only that spectrum, maybe there's like, it might be closer to good posture and there's some correct things it could do, or it might be closer to bad posture where there's more things they can do to do like, I guess, corrective exercise or, or stretching. But I also like how, um, man, I also just lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's too early. No problem. It is. Uh, it? I, I also like how, I also like how what I've noticed in good coaches is you tailor something to someone's current situation. Cause like, perfect example, Michael Phelps, you know, if he's not having, I mean, I don't know if he's having pain or not, but if he's not having any pain and he's still optimal performance, maybe whatever posture he has is more optimal for his specific situation. Yep. That's yep. That's awesome. So not being general about the, and I, I think that applies to, I mean, obviously not just fitness, but inside of fitness, I think it applies to also like nutrition, you know, not only your workouts, but what are you eating, right? You want to make sure that for your specific needs, you're hitting the right macro micronutrients, you're hitting, uh, you know, the right meal plans or sorry, the right number of meals. Maybe you're the person that can just eat a couple meals and you're good to go, or maybe you need to be eating consistently. And there's so many different variables that you could start to switch there. But I think that's important that it's understanding that what's what works for someone might not work specifically for you. So you have to tailor things in that regard. Yep. 100%. Awesome, man. So I have one final question. What is the last piece of advice you would give someone? So a busy professional, high performer, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, someone who might have a sedentary lifestyle that would help them to start to build a sustainable fitness lifestyle. Well, I think this, this is a little different for every single person. I think that they need to figure out where they are right now. So if you have somebody that works out one time a week and they can achieve that, well, how can we make more progress with you? Well, why don't we work out two times a week? We'll just increase it one day, you know, just a very minor difference. It's a small enough goal that somebody's going to be able to shoot for that goal and achieve that goal. And, and, and in my opinion, when you achieve those small goals, that's when you start to get this build of confidence and you get the momentum going and uh, I think those those small wins over a course is what really adds up. So hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the way I saw that interpreted that was one start to identify, you know, I think you kind of brought in start to identify what it is that you need to do because it's special mm-hmm. to your situation, but then two just start to get those small wins. Right. Yeah. And I'll, it couldn't have been said better because I think that truly exemplifies what I mean when I talk about sustainability, because when you start to look things in the long term, um, you, when you start to plan for things in the long term, that's when you actually start to 
build it in a way that you're going to enjoy it over a long period of time. It's not just like this crash and burn kind of thing, like yeah. the yo-yo dieting, which I could totally relate to, or the P90X is like we talked about the P90X and the insanities, which is like 90 days on of this intense yeah. Yeah. workout. Yep. And, you're good and, to go. and that's why, like, I think, you know, if you do have somebody who trains once a week, it's like, okay, now baby steps. Let's just let's just take it up a notch, see what happens. Hey, you've made progress with that. Okay. Uh, maybe a couple months later, you're like, all right, now let's go ahead, take it up to th- three workouts a week. Right. Whereas if uh, a lot of people feel like if they're doing one workout a week, they're like, okay, everybody else is working out five times a week. I got to start doing that. So then they go from one time a week to five times a week. And then they do that for a week or two and then they burn out. So yeah. Because you kind of have to play around with those variables because everybody's different. Everybody has a different tolerance, um, and and not everybody wants to be in the gym five times a week. And just because some people who are in shape do that doesn't mean every single person has to. I love that. I love that, Adam. So I know you're active on social media. If people want to follow you, reach out. Where should they go to check your stuff out? Uh, my handle on Instagram is at adam neff and that's n-e-t-h uh and then twitter same thing adam neff uh facebook you can find me facebook.com slash adam neff very creative and uh youtube youtube is uh youtube.com slash adam neff one. Oh man dude yep. almost don't forget <laughs> the one <laughs> Well, Adam, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you joining us today. It's been awesome talking with you. Yeah, man. I look forward to our next one, hopefully. Oh, yeah, for sure. We have more questions to discover. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And that is it. I don't know about you guys, but I took a ton from this. I was able to learn so much from Adam. And I think the biggest theme for me, the biggest takeaway was just learning to take things slower and being more patient. Because when you start to have those approaches, you could start to individualize a lot more. You could start to figure out what works for you. You could start to see how you adapt to different things over a long period of time. You could start to see how when you're proactive instead of reactive, you could better take care of your injuries or rehab even better and set yourself up for success in the future. You could start to do the small things that are going to take you so much further. So I hope these might have been some of the takeaways you had. If not, I hope you had even better, cooler takeaways that are going to help you to actually build a sustainable fitness lifestyle. Like I said, I want you to build that for yourself so that over a long period of time, you could start to see and get the results that you want. And that's exactly why I brought on Adam and five other fitness experts. Because I wanted to get their perspectives and I wanted to put together a course for you so that you can understand what are the things that you need to do to build that sustainable fitness lifestyle. And I'm super excited to release this course to you guys. In fact, you can head over to fitnessframeworks.com slash crash course to join the waitlist unless it's already been released. Then you can go ahead and grab your free course there. I hope to see you inside. That's it for this episode and I'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Yo, I created a free course for you. I sat down and interviewed six fitness professionals who have delivered countless results for all of their clients. I asked them questions that I wish I knew when I first started my fitness journey. Like, what are the hidden pitfalls of someone who's barely starting out? And let me tell you, you will not be disappointed with their insightful answers. In fact, I compiled all their answers in the video format so you can consume this as a video course. So to get this free course, you can head over to fitnessframeworks.com crash course. I'll see you inside.